You're listening to the Fanfic Maverick Podcast, the show where I talk to fanfiction writers about their work and the marvelous world of fanfiction. This show may contain adult themes and language. Listener discretion is advised. The following paragraphs are from Chapter 2 of a fanfiction story titled Your Name Like a Boat, co-written by Soft October and today's guest fanfiction writer, Mia Ugly. Maybe there's a part of him that keeps waiting. You know, just in case. Maybe there's a part of him that imagines one day he'll feel a sudden sharp pain in his chest, and the next time he looks at it, Steed Bonnet's name will be spread across his skin like fancy lace. Silver lines of letters running over his tattoos, showing the world who he belongs to. It doesn't happen. Ed fucks up and fucks off and comes crawling back like a dog with his whole heart in his mouth. And on the deck of the Revenge, with rope digging into his wrists as the British take the ship, with Steed's voice like a slice of orange on his tongue, you came back. And his hair the color of lamplight and his fucking eyes and his blob wife waiting for him and... and... Ed thinks, no, actually, no, fuck this, fuck these marks, fuck them for telling him who he was allowed to care about, fuck them for telling him who he could want. He doesn't need a mark, or a soulmate, or any of it, and he'd make a great blob wife, best damn blob wife a man could ask for. He doesn't give a shit if there isn't a name on his chest. Steed Bonnet's name is on his heart. Full. Fucking. Stop. He can feel it there. The steady beat of that name under his skin. And it's a greater gift than even the sea could give him. And it beats. And beats. And beats. As he signs his life away. Beats all the way to an unfamiliar shoreline. Sand in his shoes and Steed's taste on his lips at last fucking last. It beats and beats as he waits on an empty dock, with an empty boat and an empty space on his chest that he can't bring himself to tattoo over, just in case. He'll give it five more minutes. Five more minutes and that's it. He's gone, he fucking swears. Maybe ten. Just in case. To the north, south, east, and west four corners of the world, greetings from the wild, arid desert of the American Southwest. I'm your host, Chaos Blue, and this is the Fanfic Maverick Podcast. Today's guest is a name that you've heard mentioned on the show several times at this point, and I am so super excited. Our special guest fanfiction writer today is Mia Ugly. They have been a member of AO3 since 2012, and they have 22 works posted for What We Do in the Shadows, The Magnus Archives, Sherlock, Good Omens, RuPaul's Drag Race, Harry Potter, 
the terror, and our flag means death. They write music for animation as a side hustle. They once collaborated on a musical Fick Whip. They currently live on unceded Coast Salish territory, and they have a lot of feelings about pirates. Me too. Mia, thank you so much for being here. Welcome to the Fanfic Maverick. How are you? Thank you so much for having me. I am good, even though my face is pink <laughs> listening to that introduction. It's very sweet. Oh, my goodness. Oh, well, we are just so excited to have you. I, I know I said this before uh, we started recording, but I have wanted you on the show for ages. And I am so, so, so glad that you're here and that this has worked out today. So thank you so much for being here. You know, obviously, we love to start at the very beginning, as I do, <laughs> with everybody. Tell us about your fan fiction origin story, the very beginning. How did you first discover fan fiction? So <laughs> I came to fan fiction late in life, I think. Um, I was in university and uh, I was, um, so I, I think it was like 19 or 20. And it turns out, thinking back on it, I had written fan fiction as a child because I did write a story about me and Jesse from the Babysitter's Club being best friends. Um, nice. <laughs> but <laughs> I didn't realize that was fan fiction at the time. I just had a lot of feelings about Jesse from the Babysitter's Club. But uh, when I was in university, I read an article uh, in Bitch Magazine, RIP. It was, yeah, it was about, it was about fan fiction and people writing these stories online. It was mostly about slash fiction and it mentioned Harry Potter, the fandom. And I was just like, this is not actually happening, right? So after I read that article, of course, I went looking for it. And I ended up, I think on someone, I don't know, it was, I think it might have been ink stained fingers. There was no, there was no AO3. <laughs> um, I love ink stained <laughs> yes. fingers. That's one of my favorite archives ever. Remember, remember. And uh, yeah, I like the first story I read was kind of a like a snary classic. It was um, a choriambic progression. And it has since it's not on the, the internet anymore. But if I had read something that was like, eh, I might have just kind of pushed it aside and been like, okay, this does exist. But because I read something that was like, I don't know, 50,000 words of intense, <laughs> aching, yearning, and poetry, it was basically life-changing. I was like, okay, this is, this is what I'm into. So yeah, it was kind of just like a, haha, is, is, this is a thing that's funny and interesting. And then it turned into like, oh, 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 <laughs> the italic O from fan fiction. <laughs> That is so crazy to me to think that if you had not stumbled upon just the right fan fiction story, your whole <laughs> life could have been different. That's crazy. Who can say, but it, yeah, it was like the right story to pick for me. Okay, okay. So I have to know, before you stumbled on that particular slash fic, okay, I have to back up even further. I, ha I have questions. So your very first fan fiction that you ever read in your entire life was a slash fic. Yes. Is, is that right? Yes, because that article was like about people. It was about, I think it's specifically about people writing stories about, like the reference they used was Harry and Draco. And I was like, oh, yes. so I think I like Googled <laughs> my family computer, Harry Potter <laughs> slash fiction. And, <laughs> you know, on our shared family computer, because I was still living at home and we had one huge <laughs> desktop. Yeah. And that was what came up was some link to ink stained fingers i'm sure and i was i had some feelings about alan rickman so i was like yes i will see where this leads oh me too me too i had such deep feelings about yes. beautiful alan and his beautiful face 
So before you read that slash fic, had you ever considered the scenario pairing? Like, was that something that you had ever thought about? Or was this like, oh my God, like huge revelation to you? It was a huge revelation. I grew up in like a very, not a very small town, but it was like a very conservative town in the prairies. And I didn't have like no one. There was, we had a huge high school and there was not one out queer person. And, you know, I just wasn't like exposed to queer stories growing up. And so it was like, now I would like look for them everywhere because like they nourish me and give me life. But back then it was something that was kind of off my radar, not because I was a straight person, (laughs) but just because it was like, okay, these don't exist. And so, yeah, I wasn't when I was reading those books, which I which I did love them as a kid. And now, you know, they're a bit tarnished because of everything. But yeah, like back then, I yeah, I, I was just in a world of wizarding mystery and wonder. And and then after I discovered that I read that first fic, then I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> this is it's the gayest book ever. <laughs> no. <laughs> Oh, I'm like imagining you sitting there reading this and I can almost imagine this like part of your brain lighting up for the first time, you know, like that meme. Face journeys (laughs) were happening, of course. Yes. Oh, my God. That is so, so awesome. Okay, so Starry was kind of your first fan fiction ship then, right? It was. It was. And then like, I was very much into Snape and Lupin and Snape and Black. I have lots of feelings about them it was yeah it was all tied up with alan rickman but yeah it was like my fandom beginnings were all harry potter (laughs) okay well i'm so glad to hear you say that because i was the same way any ship that had well i should say any queer ship (laughs) that had uh snape in it i was just all over it you know like i think i actually started out with snoopin that's what i started out with Yeah. yeah and then you know gradually from there graduated to the the snary thing but yeah, I read all kinds of stuff. What's the pairing? I can never remember the name of the pairing between Snape and Sirius. What, what, what is that? It's Snack, but I didn't want to say it because I hate oh. it. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. That was what it was called back in the day. But I mean, maybe there was a better name for it. But oh my God, there's so many good stories. When I love that, you know, that they hate each other, but, but do they? Dynamic. Yeah. All of my fellow slave fic fans, like, you know, it's no secret. I read a lot of slave fic. You guys can come at me later for that. That's fine. But yeah, one of the first ones that I ever read in the Harry Potter fandom was between uh, Snape and Sirius. And oh, that kind of started me off on this whole, like, you know, reading between them. And, you know, I don't know. I don't It's this whole thing. I could go on and on and on about it. Yeah. <laughs> So could I. And I could listen to you go on about it. I'm just like (laughs) nodding seriously. Yes. Yeah. Oh, and I love that you remember that particular archive. Correct me if I'm wrong, but the art, the website art for Inkstained Fingers, wasn't that the one that had that beautiful art of Snape with that like greasy hair and that crazy face like over a cauldron, right? Or am I totally misremembering? I think you're right. I think, didn't it also have kind of like a modeled like background that was like parchment? I I remember a lot of those old sites had like, they were kind of hard to read because it was like, the font is green and the background is like a scroll and it was like not very user friendly, but very creative. I think yes. you're right. I think you're yes. right. Yeah, I remember that it was one of the artist renditions that had like the more ugly version of Snape. Which I'm here for, yes. Yes, I'm here for, and I loved it. And I was like, oh, 
he's so like grotesque in this picture. I love it. Like it's so uh. But like you just love him, you know. <laughs> Okay, I, I need to stop talking about Snape now because um, <laughs> that's not what we're here to talk about. But that's just so fascinating. And I love that. And I imagine that after you read your first piece of fan fiction, they're like potato chips. Once you pop, yeah. you just can't stop. Yes. Right. So you yes. probably went on to read many more. <laughs> I, I absolutely did. And I was like, I guess I was a little bit sheltered from like I had fairly strict parents. So I like access to the Internet was not a thing that really I had until I was older. But I like I didn't associate fan fiction with anything like, you know, quote unquote, cringe or embarrassing. Like, I was in the university creative writing class. And my creative writing professor was like, so what are you working on? I'm like, have you heard of this thing called fan fiction? Like, I told him about it. And he was like, yes, I have. (laughs) I was just so excited about this, like, this new genre that I had discovered. Yeah, no shame, right? No shame. <laughs> no shame. And that was just such a like a yeah, a freeing feeling to be like, oh my god, there's unlimited creative potential here that really speaks to me. Oh, I love that. I absolutely love that. So, my next question kind of flows into that one a little bit because you could separate fan fiction from fandom, right? If you wanted to, I suppose. Do you feel like you were involved in fanish fandom activities before you discovered online fanfiction? Or did they kind of come hand in hand for you? Yeah, it kind of came together. Because, yeah, I also, (laughs) not to keep ragging on my parents, I also wasn't allowed to watch a lot of television. So, like, I didn't really have access to, like, you know, things that would be, you know, big fandom draws. Like, I was in my room reading books about dragons or something. Yeah, so like fan fiction really opened up that world and made me aware of fandom at all. Yeah, so that was that was really cool. Like back then I was just kind of a a ghost like dipping in writing a little sexy story and dipping out. And I still kind of am like that, but since then I have like gotten more involved in quote-unquote fandom and I've I've met just like such amazing people through it. So that's also been like a really like life-changing gift, I'd say, that's connected to this storytelling as well. Yeah, absolutely. I've always had this like vision of you in my mind. You're kind of in the middle of everything. And for some reason, I've always had this impression that you're like well connected in the fandom world, like in in these different various fandoms and stuff. And maybe the reason why I think that is because, you know, obviously, I talk to a lot of fan fiction writers, and your name comes up a lot, you know. And so I'm like, oh, man, like everybody knows Mia. That's so cool. When you first started out in fandom and fan fiction, do you feel like that was your experience? Or were you kind of like one of those lurkers at first and then became more social and connected? What did that look like? I joined LiveJournal, of course, as one does when they are a young kid in the 2000s who are starting to write fan fiction. Yeah. And I honestly, I because I'm just like generally shy, the internet felt like a little bit more like I could, you know, have conversations with people. But I was never really part of it socially. Like I just I just wanted to write stories and then I wanted to tell people that their stories were amazing, but I like didn't really get involved with other people socially until the good omens thing. That was when I like kind of started to like make fandom connections as friends and like met people in real life who who I just had known through their incredible writing. So, yeah, that was that was a bit of a shift. For whatever reason, it just, uh, I just, yeah, I just was on the outside and that was by choice. Like I just wanted to write stories and and be a loner, I guess. (laughs) That's absolutely valid. That's how I was though. I was the lurker for almost 25 years. You know, I told you, and I've told everybody on the show a thousand times, I'm not a writer. 
so I, I, you know, I just read a lot of fan fiction and I was the lurker forever, you know? And so this has kind of been the first time I've been involved on the periphery just as a podcaster. And so, you know, I know people now through, <laughs> through the show and stuff. But yeah, like sometimes you just kind of want to be in your own little corner, enjoying your own little world. And that is completely cool and valid. And I totally am there for that, too. So <laughs> I think that that's so cool. Being a lurker, though, I feel like like being a reader, that's not being a lurker. I feel like that's also being a very hugely contributive part of the fandom, right? Like without people reading stuff, like, yeah, people wouldn't keep writing it. So I I would challenge that gently and say, thank you for... <laughs> For, for doing what you do, right? Like the podcast aside, I think like reading is valuable and enjoying the written products of fandom is, is really valuable for us. So that's so sweet. Thank you so much. I appreciate that because sometimes I feel like, oh, like I haven't really contributed much to the fandom community, like blah, 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 blah. But yeah, I read everything you guys write, man. Like, you know, that's huge. <laughs> You're right. Like it's this beautiful you know, symbiotic relationship, I guess, right? Because you guys are creating stuff and responding to stuff and we're responding, I guess, to it also by reading it and saying what we think and getting all excited about it. And it's just this like, I don't know, this beautiful cycle, like a conversation almost, right? Yeah, it's like a a storytelling community is is what I, I really enjoy about the fandom circles that I'm in anyway. Oh, I love that. I love that. And of course, we're going to bring up Good Omens later. I will bring that up later in just a second here. But first, I was wondering, because you have had experience with some of the older, <laughs> I shouldn't use that word, <laughs> <What>? <laughs> older, but what I mean by older is you remember some of the same things that I remember. Like you remember the internet days before AO3. You remember Band of Specific Archives. You remember the Life Journal days. I never had a Life Journal, but I read almost all of my fan fiction on LiveJournal back in the 2000s, because that's where it was being posted. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. So I was wondering if you had any fandom history tidbits or fandom memories from back then that kind of stand out to you that you wanted to talk about? I mean, because I was like so peripherally involved, I don't have a, a ton of stuff. It just, I do remember how it felt kind of lawless, like compared to now. And I think like, God bless AO3, I think it's just... You know, it has kept me sane or as sane as I could be kept during the last few years. But like on LiveJournal, I was so innocent and I was like posting photos of my face and I was just like talking about, you know, snary and any pairing, you know, and people there were just like, if you don't, if you aren't interested in this, fuck off. And, you know, like would put warnings, you know, the whole like, please don't sue me. I don't own this property. Like that whole disclaimer thing you had to do. But it just felt kind of like anything went. It was like this kind of creative new world where it didn't have this sort of, you know, I'm now I'm aware of of things because, you know, you see discourse kind of floating on the periphery. But I never felt that sort of like external or internal judgment when I was on live journal. I just felt like, oh, this is cool. And if I don't like what someone's doing, I'm just going to ignore them. Whereas now I feel like there's more, there's more almost like a threat of being, you know, called out for something, which I I think like, I don't want to necessarily get super into this, but like, I feel like being called out is okay. In lots of cases, like I had people or someone express some concerns about my representation of addiction in slow show. And we had a conversation about it. And I was like, so grateful for their advice and their feedback. But yeah, I also think that you can be quote unquote called out 
in harmful performative ways. And there's like, maybe there's this like risk or pressure in this new fandom world that, that I never felt in live, <laughs> live journal. Yes. No, I think a lot of people would say that about their experience with life journal is it just felt like the brave new frontier. And there weren't a lot of rules, like you were saying. Yeah. And so just anything went. And yeah, it was more like um, just generally understood without having to be explicitly stated, perhaps, yeah. that if you didn't like something, you didn't interact with it. And you just go your way in peace yeah. and, uh, you know, leave the rest of us perverts to our, you know, <laughs> little like corner of the Internet. And it's fine. But yeah, no, it is interesting to see how things have changed. It's so funny to look back because um, I'm almost 40 now. And I don't feel like it's been that long. Yeah. But then when I think back on it, I'm like, oh, the 2000s, that was, that was almost 20 years ago. Oh, like, oh, dear. That's <laughs> terrifying. <laughs> so, yeah, a lot of time has passed. And it is interesting just to see the different things. But it's wonderful to be able to look back. And I'm so glad that you had those experiences with LiveJournal because, you know, so many people that I've talked to look back fondly. I remember there was kind of a panic where it was like, oh, you know, you, we have to all, we had to move to insane journal. That was like the alternative because they were worried about things being restricted at, at live journal. I, yeah, there was like, there was stuff that I kind of was aware of, but I was never on the forefront of it just because that's how I am <laughs> a little bit in the clouds most of the time. So no, I am too, though. I am too. <laughs> as involved as I've been in reading fan fiction. I didn't know about a lot of the crazy dramas that were going on until way after they happened. You know, I didn't know about the purges on LiveJournal until way after. I didn't know about the purges on FFN, like all this crazy stuff I had to learn, you know, long after. That's happened. a good way to be, I think. It's kind of like <laughs> blissful. <ignorance>. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just like, you know, blissfully ignorant and not really, you know, freaking out along with everybody else. So I, I, I lean a lot on folks who were there and remember <laughs> the things that I don't. So it's, it's always interesting to hear people's perspectives on those. But, um, you know, I was looking over your AO3 profile, as one does when they're a big fan, right? And I was looking over all of the fandoms that you've written for. And I felt like, oh, man, like most of these are, are things that I recognize and things that I love, too, which explains why I've been a fan of yours for years, right? We seem to have similar taste in the things that we love. And I was just wondering, you know, you've been in many different fandoms over the years with your writing career and everything. Have you noticed any common factors in the fandoms that you've been involved with as a writer? Oh, yeah. I, I think I'm basically a huge cliche because, like, I just I love characters that are a bit repressed and because I, I obviously see myself in them and have like a lot of stuff going on under the surface. So like, yeah, I, I mean, that whole, the whole, like the grumpy one and the sunshine one, like I, that's a pairing that I'll never, ever get tired of. And I think it's a lot of the things I write, but I also, I love characters that are like a little bit traumatized <laughs> and who, you know, don't think they have much in common with the other person, but actually they have, you know, a lot in common with them. I love like processing my own emotions through through these characters that are a little bit repressed and a little bit traumatized. Seeing, you know, like broken people or people who think they are broken fall in love and or or and even more importantly start to believe that they're worthy of love, like that is something that I will always be drawn to. And that that's a story I I always want to tell. Oh, and that makes so much sense because 
I would say almost all of the stories I've ever read of yours have that beautiful theme in it. And that means so much to me just personally, you know, in my personal life. I've struggled with that so much. And when I see that theme pop up in people's writing, it means so much to me. I just have to tell you, like, please keep writing that because the strength that I get in my own personal life reading what you put these characters through it and watching the progression of their own journeys with those issues, it gives me the strength to deal with those things in my own life. So like huge thanks to you and to everybody else who writes those themes because like it's always been such a such a tender trope for me, you know. <laughs> That's so lovely. Yeah, I I'm 100% the same way. Like I'm obviously doing a lot of therapy probably through my own fan fiction, but like I think it's easier for me to read a story where someone falls in love. Like I feel like falling in love is not hard, but believing that you are worthy of being loved, like that is a journey. <laughs> That's a, a whole thing and I like I couldn't I will never get tired of reading that or writing it. Oh my lord. Yes, and it's such an internal thing. Yeah. And that's what I love about it being explored through fan fiction because people who who look at me or other people who struggle with that issue would never know because it's not like I'm out there in the streets going, <laughs> I don't think I'm worthy of love. Like I'm not <laughs> shouting that out to people. No one would know, right? And so being able to explore that internally with these characters in fan fiction it's just perfect, right? Yeah. Because I feel like that struggle is such an internal struggle for so many people. And you wouldn't see that in most people unless you could hear that internal dialogue totally. that they're having with themselves. And fan fiction lets us do that. It's so amazing. It is. And maybe there's less risk, like writing it down or reading it in another character, right? As opposed to like, you can, you can kind of go through it, but you personally don't have to go through it. You can just... Go through it from a distance. <laughs> you can. You can go through it from a distance and watch somebody else and then be like, oh, yes, I know exactly what you mean when you say that. Oh, yes, that feeling you're describing there. Yes, I know that. <laughs> now, a couple of days ago, you posted something on Twitter, just letting people know that you were coming on the show today, which I loved. I love, love, love because it gave people the opportunity to, uh, you know, ask some questions or bring up topics that they were hoping we might cover today. And I saw that Mademoiselle Kurtz made an appearance in that yes, Twitter feed this them. morning. <laughs> yes, yes, as do I. Mademoiselle wanted to know your thoughts on shifting en masse to different fandoms with the same people. And I am curious about that experience as well. I've never had that experience, but I imagine that you probably have. So I was hoping that you could talk about that experience a little bit here. How many times have you done that? And what has that been like for you? That's so interesting. I, I saw that question and I like, I kind of, I didn't really think about it like beforehand. So now I'm going to think about it now. But I have had that actually, like a lot of the Good Omens people got into the terror and a lot of the terror and Good Omens people are now writing for Our Flag Means Death. And that's, that's interesting. It must be like the same. I don't know what it is that like, I mean, besides, in this case, it's like the sad sailors on the sea, which I guess is, I mean, that's always a draw. But yeah, I, I, I think that's really, it's been really, it's been really cool to see writers that I recognized from, from Good Omens, like showing up again and getting the chance to like, to chat with them about their fix. And someone messaged me that said like the most beautiful thing ever that almost like, I can't cry about pirates. I might cry about pirates, but they said, like, it was so great to see all these Good Omens writers, and it's been, like, 
however many years of the pandemic we've been living through. And they were like, I'm just so happy that we're all alive to experience this again together. And I was like, oh, God. I mean, obviously, like, it was just, it was so lovely. And I was like, it made me just kind of step back and be like, yeah, this is, you know, I'm so lucky to see these people again and to read their words again and to know that, you know, wherever they are in the world, they still want to tell these stories and they still want to reach out to other creative people and connect about romance and queer stuff and pirates. Like, yeah. So I don't know. That's not really an answer to that question, but that was just something that kind of like was really meaningful to me in seeing this kind of big shift to a new fandom. Oh, that's beautiful, though. That's so beautiful. It reminds me a little bit. There's this uh, this trope. I don't see it as often. Maybe it's not as popular, but you know, like the reincarnation trope where the character gets born again over and over and over and they find their love over and over and over. What you're describing almost feels a little bit like the um, reincarnation trope because you make these beautiful connections and have these beautiful experiences in one fandom. And you're right. The pandemic has been crazy for everybody. And sometimes you lose connection with people and you don't know where they went. Or you're just thinking about them, hoping they're okay. And then to have this almost like reincarnation experience of like, oh, we're all reborn now in this new fandom. Like, and it must be so lovely. Oh, what a lovely way to put that. <laughs> because I have a silly brain. Part of me wonders, is there some like message board out there for all of you wonderful writers where you all like get together on this message board and decide, okay, guys, next we're going to go to the Our Flag Means Death fandom. Oh my God. I'm sure it's not as organized as that, right? I mean, I wish there was because then I'd be like, okay, I'm on it. I'm on it. I guess it's, yeah, just like similar themes and, and, and all that. We all love, you know, traumatized people who are doing their best and having adventures and whatever form that takes. But also, I, yeah, I don't know. It, it just seemed kind of like, especially with Our Flag Means Death, like divergence of many different things to kind of create this sort of this big fandom explosion. Like, I think it was, you know, obviously a lifetime of being queer baited whatever that looks like to different people and and also you know the pandemic restrictions starting to be lifted and life apparently supposed to go back to normal and then like the world in the like trash fire that is happening right now and then also the the like the cast and crew and how they interacted with people it just felt like it was such a welcoming space for people to start producing things and to start getting invested in this show and I think like, yeah, all of those things kind of came together to make this <laughs> very welcoming for fandom creators. Yes. The convergence of all of those things. Just it's been beautiful to see. And it has reminded me a lot of the Good Omens phenomenon. I will say that I'm one of those people that normally comes into a fandom about 10 years too late. You know, that's usually my MO, right? But with Good Omens, I don't know why. That one, I got into it right away, you know? And so I was there to see like the explosion of all of the fan created content online and just the explosion of the fan fiction stories that just seemed to happen overnight and all of the crazy stuff. It was beautiful. It was wonderful. And then to see that same thing sort of happen, <laughs> you know, again with Our Flag Means Death, I will say that in my brain, sometimes I'm having a little bit of a hard time distinguishing between. Aziraphale and Crowley and Steed and Ed, because there are so many similarities between the two pairings. When I'm reading these fan fiction stories, I keep hearing 
one or the other in my in my head as I'm reading, you know, the dialogue. And I'm going, no, no, wrong fandom. Like, stop it, brain. But I just see so many similarities there. So I can see, again, why there would be a lot of people, you know, especially the Good Omens fandom, shifting over now totally, to our flag yeah. means death. Yeah. It's tough. I, yeah, it's like sometimes I'm like reading stories and I'm like, oh, this is a little too zero fail. Like, but one of the stories, or my first one actually for Our Flag Means Death, the person who was beta reading it was like, this isn't a zero fail line. You have to get rid of it. And I was like, you're right. You're right. It is. <laughs> so yeah, yes. I'm trying to keep it separate, but it's tough. It is tough sometimes. Ah, I am so glad that you said that because that occurred to me. As I was reading, because I was like, oh, my gosh, Steed just gives off a zero fail vibes, you know, which I love. You know, I love both of those characters so much. But, yes, I can see how that would be difficult sometimes to, um, you know, <laughs> kind of draw that line that, you know, when you're when you're writing. I was trying to think of, like, what separates him from a zero fail. And I was talking to a friend of mine and we were like, is he angrier than a zero fail? Is he more certain of himself in some ways? Is he less like I don't know. There's. There, there's differences, but I'm trying to like, I'm having trouble articulating them. There has to be some differences there. That's such a fascinating question. I love that. I love that so, so much. But before we do all that, of course, I love to talk about fan fiction just as a general concept. And I know we don't probably don't want to spend too much time on this because we have so many things that we want to say today about other things. But I did kind of just want to ask you real quick, what are your personal favorite things about fan fiction in general? Like, for you, what makes it worth writing and reading? Oh, there's, gosh, so much. I think, like, obviously, the creative freedom is so huge. And being able to just, like, read stories that just came straight from someone's, like, heart and chest without them necessarily worrying about, like, is this publishable? Is this a story worth, like, that can be, like, someone can make money from? Not that, you know, all writers are like that, but just there's so much freedom there, right? You can just post it and be done with it. And there's an honesty in that that I really love. And I also, I mean, I've only really, for the most part, read queer fan fiction. And it was really my introduction to queer love stories with happy endings and not always happy endings. But like, the only representation I had seen growing up was like, nothing or like murder suicide at the end of it, you know, like, so it really was revelatory to start reading fan fiction and be like, okay, these two queer characters own a coffee shop together and are in love. And that's that, like, we're going to take a look at their emotions and their like, you know, day to day. And that's the story that we're going to dig into. And it doesn't have to be dramatic and it doesn't have to be tragic. It can just be every day, but they still deserve a love story. Right. And I just, that made a huge impact on me. And that's really why I I still like love reading and writing fan fiction because it makes room for all these queer stories that I have never seen anywhere else being told. And I think that's changing. Like, obviously, kids today <laughs> have have more representation available to them. But like, it really made an impact when I first discovered it. And I still have that like tender place in my heart when I think about fan fiction, reading and writing because it really told me stories I'd never, ever heard before. I think it still does. Oh, that's so beautiful. Thank you <laughs> so much for sharing that. And, you know, I hear what you're saying, because the time period that you're, you were describing earlier, when you first discovered fan fiction, you're right. The representation that we had back then 
We didn't have any. We really didn't, except for the tragic stories that you're talking about, right? And so where could we go to find the positive representation or the happily ever after stories? Or where could we go where we could just experience two queer characters living a normal life and the story didn't have to be necessarily about their queerness, but it could just be a domestic story about other things, right? (laughs) And yeah, I think that that is so beautiful. So, so beautiful. That's one of the things, actually, that I love the most about our flag beans death. So, of course, we will talk about that when we get there. Like, it's so, so amazing. But before we get to our flag means death, I did want to talk very briefly about Good Omens a little bit because that Twitter posting I mentioned a couple minutes ago, I noticed that Snagov and Hope also made an appearance on that Twitter feed there. And they were hoping that you would talk a little bit today about your slow show fic from Good Omens, which, oh my God, I read that a couple years ago. For those who don't know, slow show is a Good Omens AU fic that Mia posted back in 2019. Oh my God, <laughs> Crowley's desperate pining for Aziraphale was the softest, most devastating thing and made my heart burst into a million tiny pieces on the floor. It was so brilliant. It was wonderful. You had phenomenal success with Slow Show. So I was hoping that you could tell us a little bit about that fic, whatever you want to say about it. And then also if you could tell us a little bit about what it was like for that fic to become so popular within the Good Omens fandom. Sure, yeah. It's lovely that people are like still want to talk about it. It it really means so much that it resonated with people and it's still like something I'm like, did that really happen? <laughs> because it yeah, it feels unreal that I just like kind of just wrote this story that I was like, this would be a great showmance AU and then it became something that was a lot more meaningful, I think, than I had really intended when I started writing it. Like it was just, you know, fun. And then it became about, you know, coming out and and healing and, you know, finding love and later in life. And, but yeah, it was, um, it was a lot of fun writing it. And it was wild that there was a reaction to it. I mean, I still think like I, you know, I have one of the books that someone made for charity of it. And like one of the queer and alive pins that people made for a fundraiser and like someone told me they got a queer and alive tattoo (laughs) i was like this is so much yeah and then there was like at the border and curtain call who are like two of the most talented sweetest funniest writers like they wrote you know fan fiction of this story that was like from the fans perspective and then other people wrote like fan fiction about the show that was in the story and there was like a that now there's there were like tags on AO3 that were like in the slow show universe that was just wild and yeah it was so cool i uh i mean i there's nothing 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 bad happened i i didn't have any like oh yeah any any sort of conflicting feelings about it it was just straight up cool and lovely and um uh, i read some of the fan fiction about it and then i like i was very kind of careful about it because like at some point I was like, <laughs> there was a quiz that was like, which character from Warlock are you? And one of them, I think, was played by Chris Christopherson. And I was like, I don't know who any of these people are. So I just kind of like, it got away from me, right? It wasn't mine anymore. And so I uh, I was like interested in it, but it was it was like entirely almost like the creation of this community. And so I, I was super flattered, but I didn't like follow, you know, that 
um, religiously or anything, just because I was, it was so different and so new <laughs> from just what I was doing, which was like the bare minimum in terms of describing the show they were on. So yeah. And then also, also like people were, were writing things and saying things that were like a lot smarter than anything I put in the fic. And I was like, oh man, I should have done that. Or I wish I had leaned into the significance of this. So I had to be careful because I was like, oh, everyone's so much smarter than me. But uh, yeah, it was um, super cool. It's all kind of tangled up in like weird pandemic feelings now because like that all happened in like December of 2019. And then I, I've never lived alone. I've always lived with somebody. But then I moved out for the first time on my own in February 2020. And then the pandemic happened and oh I was like, my God. <laughs> oh, I'm entirely alone now. And so it's like thinking about slow show and like how exciting and fun it was. And then like everything that fell apart afterwards, it's all connected in my head. But the experience itself without all that was super fun. That is so fascinating. So fascinating because, you know, I've thought about this a couple of times. I'm not a filmmaker. I'm not a book writer or anything like that. But I've always wondered, if I was, how would I feel about people writing fan fiction, right? About my creations and all that. And I've always thought that I would just feel so flattered. Totally. In a very small way, you have had that experience, <laughs> right? Know. Of creating something <laughs> that just resonated with so many people. It was just, you know, sometimes these things just come out and they happen at the right time, in yes. the right place. And people are just like, oh my God. And all of a sudden you have people writing fan fiction about your fan fiction. And so you're having that experience that a lot of creators have outside of the fan fiction world where they're like, wow, people are writing fan fiction about like my world. That's so interesting. I just love that you had that experience. And I love that it was a wonderful experience for you. It, it really was. And it was like, I was like, some of this fan fiction is better than the story I wrote. So that was another reason I was like, step back from this before you start like comparing yourself to the fan fiction. Of the fan fiction. Like, yeah. And I think you're totally right. It's like, the story just came out like at the right time. I don't think anyone had written a Good Omens showmance at that point. But like, people were writing similar stories at the same time. And like, mine just got posted first. And yeah, for whatever reason, people connected with it. And that was really lovely. But it is all these different factors, I think, like, intersecting that actually were the reason that people connected with it the way they did. I think I loved Crowley's POV the best throughout that because it was just this devastating pining and oh my goodness, like how many of us have been in a situation like that at least once in our lives and to just, oh my God, I just, I don't know. I don't know. It just, it destroyed me and then put me back together again at the end. And I love being destroyed by the way. So it's the best compliment ever that I can give you because I read fan fiction to be destroyed. Same. That Crowley voice was like, a fugue state voice, which I like still kind of think back on. And I'm like, what is this story about you? Uh, maybe you should talk to somebody. But it, it was just like, I'm just gonna throw all this up. And like, it just came out of my guts. Like it was like, this is his voice. And I didn't need to think about it or like edit it. It was just like, there. And it was I haven't had very many of those fan fiction experiences where the story writes itself. But in that case, and I didn't really plot it out either. I was like, I want these scenes. But like, scenes just happened i don't know it was a very strange <laughs> strange <Wow>. time <laughs> you like channeled you channeled yes. crowley there i guess so oh my god because yeah you nailed it 
you nailed it. It was so raw. You know, like I'm so attracted to like the really raw, devastating, emotional. I have such a hard time describing it. I'm not a writer, obviously. But um, that rawness was just, oh, my God. It's almost like like self-destructive longing in a way. Yes, I don't know. It's just like yes. I will burn myself to the ground with these feelings. Oh, that's such a good way to describe it. Self-destructive <laughs> longing where he's just like, I think he actually said that at one point in the story. Like, I will burn myself to the ground, salt the earth, whatever Xerophel wants. Like, oh, my God. It was just like, mm, 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 mm. <laughs> yeah, so goal in life, to have somebody look at me the way Crowley looks at Xerophil, <laughs> that would be perfect. But anyway, yes, I love that that was a beautiful experience for you. And, and I love that you had that because now you have kind of hopped in to Our Flag Means Death, which, oh my God, let's just take some time now to talk about Our Flag Means Death because, okay, like so many feelings, okay? So many damn feelings. Like, I'm flabbergasted that I'm not coming into this fandom like 10 years late. I'm actually here when it's happening. But I saw somebody mention it on Tumblr. That's how I got introduced to it. Somebody mentioned, oh, pirates, gay pirates. And they actually said on the Tumblr post, like, it actually happens on the screen. And I was like, what actually happens on the screen? Like, what the hell are you guys talking about? Right? So then I go watching this show. And my brother actually mentioned it to me, too. And he's not into stuff like this. But he's like, you know what? I saw the first two episodes and you would like it, you know? So I go in there. And oh, my God. Oh, my God. That was my initial thought. Like, I I didn't have any, like, super creative or earth-shattering thoughts at first. It was just that mantra in my brain. Oh, my God. What was it like when you first encountered this show and watched it for the first time? Like, what was going on in your brain? Because mine was just misfiring, you know? <laughs> yeah, it was just like like Christmas tree lights up in there. So I I have like a pirate story, but it means a lot. And I have like, I've cried about these pirates more than I would like to admit. But one of my lovely, lovely friends who I met through Good Omens, her name is Pine Hutch. And she's also a poet on Tumblr under Almost Molly. And it's just like one of the most talented writers I've ever met in my life. It's just so incredible. But she and I both were like really into black sales during the pandemic. Black sales is just so incredible. Have you seen it? I have heard of it. I've never seen it. In terms of like representation, queer, POC, like just unbelievable representation and and storytelling. And I was, we were both like, why hasn't the show, like why didn't win all the awards? It should be way more famous than Game of Thrones. Like it's just a groundbreaking show. And so we started a server because we wanted to have like a black sales summer fun fest where people wrote stories about it. And it became like this really awesome space for like all these people who are like really into pirates and really into storytelling. And then this new pirate show came up and people were like, hey, should we watch, you know, Taika's new Our Flag Means Death show? So we streamed it in this server like as the episodes aired. And so that meant like, I was in this group of people who I really love, who are all like basically like queer pirate fans. And we got to see like the you wear fine things well line like live as it happened. And we all like the chat, like I took screenshots of the chat where people were like, is this happening? Am I, are we dreaming this? Is this, did they almost kiss? Like, what does this mean? And 
it was just, and so then it was like we streamed the other two, like every time they, we watched it live together and it was just being with these, these people who are so like-minded and so creative and have been like hungry for a love story like this. And like the saddest thing ever is like seeing all the people say, this can't be, this can't be real. This isn't going to happen. It's not going to happen. Is, is it a joke? Like, even though, you know, the cast and crew were like, no, this is a romantic comedy. Trust us. And then to like watch the finale with them and to see like, you know, no, this is, this is real. And it's not to say that, you know, people have to have, you know, explicit sex on screen for it to be, you know, queer representation, but like whatever sort of, you know, there, there are queer love stories all over the place that are not made explicit, not made a hundred percent clear, but you know, they're still meaningful for people and people, you know, they're still there. And that's, that's so great and so important. But like this, you know, my, my straight friends and my parents who also watched the show later, like they couldn't walk away from this and think it was anything other than a love story. And that meant a lot. I didn't cry until the show was over. And then I like cried so much because I was like, I never thought I would get this. I never thought I would see this in my life. This like joyful, tragic, stupid, (laughs) queer love story that was just a love story, right? It wasn't about homophobia and coming out and, you know, traumatized. It was about like, you know, being traumatized by masculinity, I think, in the, you know, systems of the world. But like, yeah, I, it just, it's going to be like something I look back on, like thinking about, you know, like great moments of, of this year and, and years to come was that like moment with these people. I really like all of us reacting in real time to this, this show that we couldn't believe would go in this direction. Yes. I'm so, so, so happy to hear that you had the experience of watching these things for the first time with other people. And you guys could all just collectively gasp and be like, did that actually just happen? Yeah. I watched it with my dog, my dog Elam, who's used to me, like, you know, talking out loud to him about things that he doesn't really understand. So I was talking to Elam as we were watching the show. And just the buildup between Steed and Ed was brilliant. You get those moments where they're looking at each other and you're like, wait a second, are they? Aren't they? What's going on here? You can feel something. You can cut it with a knife. It's so thick. Oh my God, this is happening. (laughs) Yes. Oh my God, this is happening. Is it? Isn't it? And the little moments where you can tell that Blackbeard wants to say something or do something and he is holding himself back. I almost feel like Ed knows way before Steed does. (laughs) <laughs> and Steed's just kind of like head up in the clouds, like I'm having a great time, blah, blah, blah. And Ed knows what's going on yeah. to, a, to a degree, you know, mm-hmm. but he's just so determined to hold himself back. <laughs> I don't know why, but yeah, it, it's just, oh my God. Oh my God. And then I do have to say that Jim's character. <gasps> yes. As I was sitting there watching Jim. <laughs> yes. I cried. And yes. <laughs> I don't I don't cry a lot. Like I'm not a crier. I don't get super emotional about a lot of things. I know, surprise surprise to a lot of people. <laughs> I probably sound like I'm a crier, but I'm not. But I sat there and I cried over Jim because the past couple of years <laughs> in my own personal life have been me trying to navigate my own journey with gender expression and what does that mean and all of that and to watch a character like Jim on screen and to not have it be about them coming out necessarily or like having those issues. They just are Jim. 
and they can be Jim. And everyone around them is curious, but after some explanation, they just are like, oh, yeah, like yeah. totally cool. We accept this. Jim is Jim. And then when Jim goes to that island in episode seven, yeah. Yes. And Nana just calls them by their pronouns. And it's not yes. like a huge deal. It's not called out. It's, it just is what it is. That was uh, the closest I came to crying in the show because when, yeah, when Jim was like they themed without question by like all the people who love them, I was like, I never thought I'd see this in a show. Yeah. Like <laughs> it was transformative for me. I cried and I don't usually do that. And I was sitting there going like, why am I crying? <laughs> and then I realized like, oh, it's because it's not a big deal on the show. Yeah. It's because it's treated with such care. And respect and it's not like it doesn't have to be this huge thing it just is yeah and i love how like vico has said you know there were three non-binary writers in the writer's room and so when they took this role on they were like i didn't have to fight for representation i didn't have to fight to tell the story the right way because there were three people there already who were like no we got you we're gonna make sure that this is told in a positive healthy realistic way like we're gonna protect this character because we understand. And I was like, that's so wonderful. Yes. When I read that, I was just so impressed. Yeah. So impressed because, yeah, they were saying, you know, on any other show, you know, on any other production, they would have had to fight. That's been the experience of a lot of actors portraying characters like this. But they didn't have to do that in this case. And how beautiful is that? That they felt supported and they felt like the writers had their back and they didn't have to worry. How revolutionary is that? Yes. Yeah. And it's like, I like, I'm here for this love story, this like middle aged queer pirate love story so much. But I'm also like, oh my God, you know, like that sort of representation with Jim and also like the body diversity and like the POC characters and like Leslie Jones being a badass in like the sexiest yes. suit of all time. And like the conversation with like Lucius and Black Pete about how we don't own each other and there are so many layers of things that I have never seen before in, in the television. Yes. And they just pop up. Yes. It's like they just pop up so casually that you're sitting there shocked because yes. they just keep popping up here and there and everywhere. I was taking notes the second time that I watched through the entire show. And I have like a whole notebook full of just like crazy notes because they're just popping up everywhere. And I can't believe it. And it just feels so phenomenal. That's absolutely what I was going to say. It was like, none of this is treated like a very special episode. It's like just par for the course in this world. And I just, yeah, it was like exactly what I needed to watch when I watched it because it gave me hope in lots of different ways. It, it really felt like, okay, there's a chance to tell these stories like in the mainstream. And I know that's what like the showrunner David Jenkins said, like the mainstream is for all of us. And I just... Like the way that the cast and crew have also interacted as this has unfolded has also felt really meaningful and really important. Yes, that these types of stories and these types of people can be in the mainstream. It kind of feels, what's the word I'm looking for? It feels validating yes. in a way because it's almost like it's saying to us, like, we exist. Yeah. Like, we exist in these spaces. We always have. And now, like, we're able to, to show that. We're able to see that in this mainstream show without having to hide it and without having to sit there and go, are they, aren't they? I will say that I love, 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 love that this is a love story between two middle-aged characters. 
the older I get, the more I appreciate Same. those <laughs> stories, right? Because yeah. so many of us are figuring this shit out later in mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. It just happens for various reasons. And to know that at our age, it is not too late. It is not too late to know yourself and to have these new experiences, to have people accept you. Yeah. It's just gorgeous. And I'm loving the discourse on Tumblr about the kiss. It was a perfect kiss. It was perfect. (laughs) It's so perfect because it's so awkward. You know, like (laughs) two middle-aged dudes who act like they've never kissed anyone in their whole entire life. Yeah. It was wonderful. (laughs) It was wonderful. It was just so pure. And I couldn't get over it, like how beautiful it was because it was so awkward, you know? I took the next day off work. I called in sick to work because I was like, uh, my friends and I have joked about, like, and I also made the joke that maybe we just all had COVID at the same time because we were like sick after the show finale. (laughs) We like all had pirate fever and we were like not sleeping and not eating. And people were being like, is anyone else just randomly bursting into tears? And it was like, yes, we all were like, we're rocked by this show that we did not expect. And I think it's it might be different for people who watched it like a lot later, right? Because I know people are watching it now and they know it's the gay pirate show. But yeah, like going in because it wasn't marketed like that, right? It was like, it was just a funny pirate show and it went somewhere so unexpected and really revolutionary, like you said. Yeah, so revolutionary. And I love the, the idea of people taking time off work after that episode <laughs> to just be like, National holiday, guys. Seriously, we're devastated. Nobody's working. Yeah, like, oh my God. It was just everything that you would ever want. Except for a happy ending. Except for the happy ending. (laughs) I am emotionally devastated by where the show left off a little bit here. But that does leave the door wide open, right? For a wonderful second season, which fingers crossed, I know that we don't know yet if we're getting that second season. Please, pirate gods. Please, pirate gods. Yeah, there has to be some pirate gods that we can pray to for second season of Our Flag Means Death because we need it. Yeah. We need to know what happens. We deserve it. Exactly. Thank you. We all deserve it. And After they the time deserve we've it. Had, yes. Oh my God. Yes. 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 After like all these years of pandemic energy, I don't think my heart could handle not knowing what happens here. Just throwing that out there. I know we talked a little bit about this earlier, but I just wanted to say that I thought it was so cute and so funny that you're coming from the terror to our flag means death just because there are like similarities. Both are shows about sailors and sailing and ships and the sea, and both are RPF AU shows about actual historical figures. I just had to say out loud that I think that that's just funny and hilarious and (laughs) adorable. I love it. So just throwing that out there, too. (laughs) Yeah, only writing about sea-adjacent stories from now on. I wanted to ask you if you have done any digging into like the real life histories of Blackbeard and Bonnet. Because for those who don't know, they were real life figures. So I was just wondering if you had done any digging into that. Not a ton. Like I said before, I'm somebody who does the bare minimum of research just to facilitate kissing. So I was like, okay, what are the rooms of a ship called? <laughs> and then like that's kind of where I go. But I did listen to, there's a podcast. This American Life has an episode about Steed Bonnet. It's really good. I looked, I did some Wikipediaing, and then I know some of the writers are like are digging a lot more into the history. But I think, and I think the show kind of followed 
the same path that I did, which was like a very cursory look at the timeline to pick out like the romantic comedy beats. Because it feels like a fantasy, right? It doesn't feel like like a hard-hitting look at the lived reality of pirates at that time, even though there is some basis in truth. And some of the basis, like some of the things they used or didn't use, I think is really interesting. Like it's interesting to see where they kind of diverged. But like this American Life podcast about it is is so interesting. And like I can see why people were like, oh, there's something else going on here. Because – I, I mean, you should listen to it. I love that podcast. So I'm going to go and I'm totally going to listen to that episode because I am so fascinated. He really was called the Gentleman Pirate. He was. You know, like that actually did happen. Blackbeard did take command of the revenge at yes, some point. He did. And he also moved Steed Bonnet and his entire library onto Blackbeard's own ship. Like, yes. what? why? Why did he do that? <laughs> Just to hang out with this fancy man in his books and like... There's sources saying, like, Steed would be with a book in his hand in his fancy silk dressing gown, like, on the ship looking around while they were, like, fighting off other pirates. Like, he was a terrible pirate. <laughs> but he kind of, yeah. I mean, obviously they they f- fell in love and that's <laughs> the real life story. Uh, but yeah, it's it's very interesting. And then, of course, like, Blackbeard did maroon his crew and Steed did rescue them. And, like, yeah, there, there are bits there that are just so interesting but i think ultimately i would like to go with the direction that the show is going and not think too much about what actually happens to them yes exactly season two is the perfect time to canon diverge because we don't actually want an ending true to life as what happened in history because that's too tragic for my heart to handle i i do not like that (laughs) yeah exactly so yeah i haven't done a ton of research obviously but I think it's okay in this particular thing. It feels like, yeah, magical, magical realism in its way. I mean, the people are talking to seagulls and (laughs) think that's all right. Yes. Oh, I love the way you put that magical realism because, yeah, that's exactly what it feels like. I was, uh, you know, rewatching the show this week to refresh my memory for this show. And my brother was sitting there watching some, some of these episodes for the first time. And he turns to me at some point and goes, man, they really just kind of like throw common sense out the window a little bit with some of these things because some of them are just so funny. You know, like that scene where Steed decides to go uh, after he's uh, faked his own death, you know, he gets in that little dinghy and he just starts rowing out into the sea. The ocean, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the ocean. And he's somehow going to find his ship and his crew that way. And he My does. Brother was like, That's silly. And I was like, yeah, don't think too much about it. We don't pay too much attention to little details like that that don't matter. <laughs> the ocean is like a large lake in this universe. And you're, you're gonna, your paths will cross. <laughs> exactly. If you just row hard enough and long enough, you'll come across all the people you were searching for. So no big deal. I'm going to live my life by that. If you just row hard and long enough, you'll, you'll find what you're looking for. Yes. Just keep rowing. Yes, just keep rowing. So it is. It's just, it's so, it's so fantastic and so fabulous. I have loved every single Our Flag Means Death fic that you've posted so far. I've counted three. Am I right about that? There's three. So the first one that I read was When You Love It, which I believe is the first one that you posted for that fandom, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So I was curious about the writing of that fic. I was wondering if that fic for you 
was that kind of like a sort of immediate in the moment reaction (laughs) to what you were seeing on the screen? Yes. Tell me about that. What was that like? I have never written a story that quickly. I think I wrote it in three days before the finale even aired. Like we watched. (gasps) Oh, yeah. We watched episode seven and eight. And then I wrote that fic like that weekend because I was like, I need this to be okay. Like it was just fueled by no sleeping and pirate feelings. And yeah, it was just pure catharsis. It was like that, those like first days of fan fiction feelings where I was like, this just needs to happen and I'm going to do it. So yeah, it was, um, there's, there was no like time to sit and reflect. It was all just immediate, but it was super fun. I mean, like when I started watching the show, there was no, there was no tag on AO3 for them. What? Yes. And by the time like I posted this, there were like a couple, maybe not even a hundred stories, but it was like, yeah. And since then it's exploded, which is so amazing. Yes, yes. I, I would think I was saying earlier, it reminds me a lot of the Good Omens thing where it just kind of explodes overnight. But one of my favorite things is to read those early fan fictions that you can tell or sort of immediate reactions to what people are seeing in the moment, you know, and it's just, oh, you, I love it because you know that there are so many feelings behind these fan fictions and they just have to come out some way, somehow. Exactly. I wanted to know what were the things that you were exploring there with that piece, because I felt like it was a lot of like insecurity exploring between Steed and Ed, which makes so much sense because you've talked before about your love for insecure characters and things like that. So that makes perfect sense. Uh, Yeah, totally. I think it was it was about it was it was also like trying to see like, can I get their voices right? Like the first time writing for a new fandom is always kind of nerve-wracking and this was the story where my beta was like no no this sounds like a zero fail i'm obsessed with having people like read my stuff before i post it i like usually get two people at least to look through it so i'm so glad i did because i might have just written another good omens fic but uh yeah it's it was about insecurity and it was about like your your first time really having sex with someone that you like act like really connect with and so there was like a lot of anxiety but then also like a lot of kind of reflection on how how easy it actually is or was for them and then how both of them are kind of similarly insecure but they have this different view of each other right like steed sees ed as this like super (laughs) sexy cool pirate god and he also has his own stuff going on and also it was kind of me being allowed to be hand wavy about how they got out of that situation with the the english navy i was like i'm not gonna they're rescued and they get to have sex now. <laughs> like that was, yeah. So I, that's the magic of fan fiction. <laughs> oh, and I love it because it really does kind of go on with the show though, because the show is very hand wavy on, on many things as well. So it works any way you slice it. And I love what you said about them having different perceptions of each other, because that's kind of what I took away from it too. Like, oh my goodness. It was so much fun to see their different perceptions on each other because, you know, you live with yourself 24-7, right? And you have your own ideas and, <laughs> and uh, perceptions on yourself, you know, and sometimes they can be hard to see outside of that. But it was just so interesting to see these two characters' takes on one another. It was just so interesting how, you know, like you said, 
Steed has this like hero worship with Blackbeard because, oh my God, Blackbeard, which honestly, like who wouldn't right? oh, yeah. have some hero worship there Especially with Blackbeard? looking like that, I tell you. <laughs> right, right. This larger than life character and you long to be a respected pirate. And so, of course, you have this chance to get to know Blackbeard and you're going to have those like intense feelings of hero worship there. But it was so interesting how those same feelings are almost turned on to Steed from Ed's point of view, too. He's sort of a little bit tired of being Blackbeard and kind of having these ideas of like, I could be so much more than this. And so he, you know, has similar like hero worship feelings about Steed and who Steed is as a person. And that was just so beautiful to watch. I loved that. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting, the Blackbeard's perception of Steed, because I think he likes the things about Steed that Steed has been uncomfortable with or teased for, for his whole life, right? Like his softness, his aestheticism, his like, his gentility and all all that sort of stuff. Like, it's just so fascinating to see that be admired by somebody who is like, kind of the antithesis of that, like, at least outwardly, I think is was really cool in the show. And in all the stuff I've been reading, I really love it. As you're talking, I'm thinking, Steed being mocked and teased his whole life for those things, of course, he would want to gallivant away to be something else, right? Something that he perceives as manly and masculine and he wants to sort of embody these things because he's kind of tired of being teased for who he's been his whole life right and then to have someone come in and see those things about you and not only see them but love them yes wouldn't that just blow you over for sure you might be so blown over that you have to run away from it because you're not quite in a place where you can love them yourself you know Who can say? Right. Yeah. You don't love them yourself and you can't fathom how somebody else could either. So interesting. So, so interesting. And then I went from there, of course, to We Were Warnings, which was, uh, I think, your second fic, right? That you posted for Our Flag Means Death. And oh, my Lord. Loved this fic so much. It was very, it's very intense, you know, emotionally speaking, because a lot of this is from Ed's point of view. Devastated. So sad, Ed. He has a lot of feelings, you know. That's where I felt like this fic was coming from, was his very complicated emotional evolution through that experience. Totally. And I I find those characters easier to write than the, the Steed Bonnets and the Zero Fails. <laughs> I'm better at, at being devastated. But yeah, it was, it was another one. Like, the finale just aired and I was like, I must fix this. And I think it was, yeah, a couple days, maybe a week before I posted it. And it was, yeah, it was like, there were a lot of, I was like, just devouring all the stories that had them immediately get back together and be okay, because that was what I needed. But I was like, I want to try and tell one where it takes a little bit more time. And like, what would that look like if you don't recover immediately from, you know, this, this betrayal on both their sides? So yeah, that's kind of where I was going there. And also, like thinking a lot about this grief that I was feeling about like how the show had been so much fun and it had felt like a joy and like so easy, the two of them together. And now there was this big, sad, dark mark. And I was like, is, will it be able to like, will will they go back to that place if they get another season? Like, will they ever find their way back there? And and just kind of thinking about like the romanticized, idealized past and like, can you ever go back to those days before you've hurt each other? And 
is that sort of like mutual hurting inevitable, which yes, it is, I think, in every relationship. But can you find at least a way to be easy again, which I think you can, I hope. And so yeah, I was just just thinking about that because that was like hurting me while I was writing it. And I just kind of wanted to bring that in a bit. This sounds like this was cathartic for you. <laughs> um, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't about me, like, personally, but it, it was a little bit because, yeah, like, I, like, romanticize the past, as I'm sure we all do, especially, like, when things are uncertain and, and hard. And so it was nice to kind of work out those own feelings through some pirates. <laughs> yes. Oh, and I love the way that you describe this story because that's the exact experience that I had reading it. It's really Ed grappling with, can you ever go back to the way that it was before after your heart's been ripped out of your chest, you know? And just that raw romanticizing of the past and how there are parts in that story where you feel like he's so angry that he still loves Steed. Even after everything that's happened, I think there's a part in there where he's like, I, I hate you, Steed. I hate you. I hate that I love you still after all this time and I would do anything for you. And I hate it, you know, <laughs> he's just so angry and so devastated and so hurt. And so that, oh, that emotional journey through all of that. And then coming to that hopeful end of it. I loved how you brought it all together at the end and it gave us so much hope. I certainly needed that because, yeah, here I am at the end of the season going, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, please. <laughs> Yeah, I, that totally was like my own, like, <laughs> that was purely self-indulgent, that ending, because I was just like, everything will be okay. But I mean, that's really why I write fan fiction is to like, is to tell a love story with a happy ending. I don't know when I will get to a place where I'm like, nothing worked out and <laughs> everything was sad, I, which I think there's so much value in those stories too. And I think they're so important and so honest and some of my favorite writers write like these hard, sad, hopeful, beautiful stories. But I personally, I can't do it yet. I, <laughs> it hurts too much. I can have all this pain as long as like at the end, I know like there's hopefulness and they're probably going to kiss. Like, okay. Oh, well, you know what? I am here for the self-indulgent stuff. Just so you know, I'm like you, I'll read anything, right? So I'll read the devastation and the unhappy endings, and I'll also read all the happy endings too. <laughs> yeah. And I am so here for all of that self-indulgent, fix it, everything worked out in the end, you know. But I appreciate that you still took us through the hard stuff to get us there, though, you know. Yes, I want my heart crushed. Yes, please. So that's what we get with We Were Warnings. It was so beautiful. I was wondering if it was difficult for you digging into Ed's devastated headspace there, because there is a lot of devastating like parts when he's kind of like exploring that internal experience of what that's like for him. And I was just wondering if that was difficult for you to dig into as you were writing. Not really. And then I was like, I was looking at it again before like this chat. And I was like, man, he just like tosses around suicidal ideation. I hope everyone is okay who's reading this fic. But yeah, I mean, he goes dark places. I don't have trouble with that with characters like this. But it was harder to write the happy stuff and to make it feel like earned and not like saccharine and cheesy, you know, like I angst comes easily, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I, I wanted it to the happy ending to feel like, 
okay, this we got there and the, the process made sense to people. Oh, it did. It absolutely did. It was so wonderful. I was in Kansas City, Missouri when I read this. I was visiting my podcast buddy, <laughs> Sarah, at talking fanfic out there. We each took a couple of hours on a Sunday afternoon. She wanted to write on her fanfic project, and I wanted to read some beautiful fanfiction, so I took the afternoon to read this. And she came out at one point and was like, hey, buddy, how you doing? And I was like, God, it's so beautiful. You have no idea. Oh, my God. And I just went on and on and on and everything. I actually pulled out. I do this thing. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people do this thing, but I do this thing where as I'm reading especially wonderful fan fictions, I will copy and paste some of my favorite lines and paragraphs. And I do like that, that too. Yeah. Oh my God. Yes. Because the writing is just so gorgeous. And so on We Were Warnings, I did pull out, bear with me here just a second while I pull it up because I hope you're okay with this, but I wanted to read it on the show here. It's just one paragraph. There were so many from this fic that I could have read, but we would be here for like a thousand hours if I did that. So I pulled out this one, and forgive me because I can't remember now if this is from chapter one or two, but this is my favorite paragraph from this particular fic, and this is how it goes. It hurts because it can't fix anything, can't undo any of it. It can't make the clocks wind back to that day on the beach where everything seemed possible, and the horizon of his heart was wide and gold and endless, the whole world waiting for the two of them to find it. Steed's reasons don't change anything in the war wound of Blackbeard's body. That was so good. So good. The horizon of his heart was wide and gold and endless. I could say that out Aww. loud a thousand times in a row and just bask in like how beautiful oh that my is. Gosh. Like I almost can't handle it. It's so good. Thank you so much. Thank you for writing something so beautiful. There were so many lines like that in this fic. So obviously I'm encouraging everybody to go read it and pick out your favorites because there are so many in this fic. And that was mine. I was wondering if you had any favorites from, from this fic or from the first one that we talked about that you wanted to kind of just pull out and talk about or? Like kind of my like thesis statement <laughs> was the one about um, at the very end where it was like, uh, I pulled it up for this. Um, maybe they were bound in blood from the start. Maybe it was always going to happen, the painful bits, the wounding. Maybe what matters is what happens next, which was kind of my, yeah, my theme stated. But I also, I really liked Ed saying, you love me instead of I love you, because I just felt like that for him is a lot harder to say. So, I mean, it's not like exquisitely written, but to me, that line felt really meaningful writing it. I love that you pulled that out because that just made like this light bulb click on in my brain that of course he would say it like that. Of course he would. He doesn't think he's worthy of being loved. Yeah. And it's like he knows he loves Steed. That is not a big deal like at all at this point. But like the other is is a lot more painful. Yes. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, now I'm going to have to think about that for the next 5,000 hours. Because yes, oh, and I loved the thesis line that you pulled from that because that too was one of my favorites that I ended up copying and pasting in my frantic, furious note-taking here because I just loved it so much. It applies to so many things, I think, you know, that maybe it was always going to be that way, right? Maybe it was always bound to happen that way. And things can't be easy forever, right? It's never, like <laughs> yes. You can't just press pause on, you know, a little sunny beach. Right. But it can be part of the story. Yeah. And it can totally. still be a beautiful part of the story. And the story's not over. Yes. Yeah. Aw. 
Oh, these pirates. <laughs> Damn you, pirates. <laughs> oh, I love that. And then I did get a chance finally, uh, once I got my internet connection back and I got home and everything, I had the chance to read the most recent one, the, the work in progress, Your Name Like a Boat, which you're co-writing, yeah. which I didn't realize at first, but you're co-writing that with Soft October, which is a name that has been brought up on the show at least once. That's so, so wonderful. Have you collaborated before? Back in the day, I have with uh, someone who turned out to be like such a great friend on RuPaul's Drag Race fan fiction. We wrote like kind of this epic story that had musical numbers in it and recorded songs. Oh, it was so much fun. Um, her, her name's Artificial Maggie. She's also uh, she's a fan fiction writer who's just like wonderful and so creative and so funny. And so, yeah, but I haven't collaborated with anyone for a really long time, although I am I'm working on another Black, uh, not Black Sail, sorry, Our Flag Means Death story with Pinech, who's like a super good friend and writer and betas a lot of my stuff. But writing with Soft October has been so much fun because she is so funny and so smart. And so she's taking kind of Steed's voice and making it funny and smart and charming. And then I'm writing Ed sections and making them like sad and horrific. But it's kind of really lovely to have like someone to bounce my angst off of like she's such an incredible writer it's just been like she said once it was kind of like like jamming with musical instruments because we're both just going back and forth as we write it and yeah it's been like candy it's felt so great to do this i love the way that's described i can totally see that in my brain two musical geniuses <laughs> or in this case two literary geniuses right she's jamming. also a musical genius so <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. That is so amazing. So like, okay, not being a writer, I don't know the ins and outs of how one collaborates with another writer. And I'm sure that a lot of writers do it differently. Totally. Yeah. For you and Soft October, do you guys get together at the same time to like work on it in real time together? Or are you guys like working on different pieces separately and then like sewing it together at some point? Like what's your process there? We have, and this is the same thing I did before, like we have just like a shared Google Doc and then we kind of outlined a little bit of like where we wanted the story to go based on these four chapters that we have planned. And it just kind of naturally happened that I started it from Ed's POV and then she took it over from Steed's. And so this back and forth like happened just really organically and we just stuck with that. So yeah, she just writes what she wants to write and then we kind of like each go through each other's part and like change things if we need to or like even it out so the tone is a little bit similar. But yeah, it's like we just have the major beats and then we just write when we want to and hassle each other on Discord when we're when we want to talk about it. Oh, I love that. That must be so much fun and so incredible to be able to work with someone that you just have so much respect for. Yes. And it's gorgeously written. Okay, I have this question for you. I have to know. So your name like a boat. Chapter two, the last six paragraphs of chapter two. Who the fuck wrote the last oh. six paragraphs of chapter two? Well, since it's sad <laughs> bastard hours, yeah, it was me. It was me. With obviously like feedback from Soft October, but like I felt almost mad at myself for making it so sad. No, no. Okay, listen, 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 listen. <laughs> when I read this, okay. And obviously the whole thing is beautiful so far. And I'm so excited for the next like installment and to see the ending and everything. 
But I'm sitting there reading those last six paragraphs of chapter two, and I have to jam my fist into my mouth and scream because (laughs) they were so beautiful. And I'm like, who the fuck wrote this? Because I wasn't sure. At that point, I knew like, okay, it's a collaboration. I have no idea who wrote these. I have to know. Thank you so much. Oh my God. Yeah. Like seriously, there was fist jamming in my mouth and screaming and there was like, oh my God. I love reading literature for those moments when you come across something that's just so lovely that you just can't help yourself. It makes being alive worth it to me, I guess. (laughs) Seriously, yeah. The beauty of the world, it's right here, contained in these pages. Like, it's amazing. Oh, my gosh. You know, and I could go on and on and on, right? (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. I'm glad you liked it. I, uh, it's been just a real dream to write. And also this one, Izzy gets to be more of a character, and I'm like a thousand percent an Izzy Hands apologist slash admirer. (laughs) (laughs) I love him. Uh, so I'm glad that we get to have more of him in this story than I have in my other ones. Yes, yes. No, it's just wonderful. And obviously can't wait to see what happens next in there. And so the both of you are just doing a fabulous job on that. So amazing. Again, folks, like you have to read these. They're so good. So, so good. You know, I wanted to ask you another question about your particular writing, because, you know, I'm not the only one that is in love with your fan fictions and the way that you write. I'm not the only one who speaks effusively about your gorgeous emotional style of writing. I feel like it's an emotional style, personally. Yeah, it is. (laughs) Yeah, like if you had to describe your own writing style, how would you describe that? The first thing I wrote down, because I took, I was like putting notes down about this and I was just like overwrought and repetitious. But I think emotional is probably a gentler, nicer term. (laughs) Because, yeah, it just like the stuff I love the most is stuff I don't plan. It just comes out like in this rush of emotion. And yeah, I don't have like a background or any like any training in creative writing besides like, I mean, like kind of random classes I took here and there. Yeah, it's a style that I just like cobbled together from reading fan fiction and and (laughs) non-fan fiction. And uh, yeah, I think it's 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 emotional and cathartic, and I use brackets incorrectly all of the time. Yeah, but I love the brackets. Oh, thank I you. Love <laughs> yes, cathartic. I think that that is a perfect description of your particular writing style. Because yes, you know that when you're going to sit down and you're going to read a, a, a fic by Mia Ugly, it is going to be a cathartic experience. It's definitely going to be an emotional one. I love that. I'm here for it. I am curious to know if there are any particular people or things or experiences that you feel like had an influence on the development of your particular writing style. I mean, writing, right? Like that has has really shaped it. And as I have written more, I've tried to like slowly try to develop my voice. And even like reading stories I wrote that weren't that long ago, I'm like, oh, I I would totally do things differently now. So I mean, it's still like, still a work in progress. And then just like, yeah, like reading, I read a lot of poetry. And I really am drawn to like, poetry that hurts and feels really immediate, and has those same like, probably not healthy extremes of longing in it. Yes, but they're so beautiful. (laughs) Exactly. They're beautiful on the page and in my mind, and maybe not on a daily basis. 
and conversations with other people and other creative writers and artists and like yeah feedback from from readers as well like or from friends and you know people i admire has helped with that as well oh i love that the community aspect totally yeah having that interaction with other artist creators in the community who you love and respect and I imagine that that is just so fulfilling to be able to all get together, you know, and talk about these things and just encourage each other, right? Encourage each other as you're growing in your craft. Totally. And I think like I've got um, some like specific to writing servers on Discord that I'm part of that have been like really great to have these conversations about. And they also have like workshopping sessions where you can uh, workshop like original stuff, not necessarily fan fiction, but yeah, it's all been really helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Because no matter what type of writing it is, writing is writing, right? And it's going to help you in whatever creative project. Do you write non-fan fiction stuff occasionally, like original stuff? Before the pandemic, I used to a lot, a lot more. And then the last couple of years, like I've got on my AO3, it's like a list of works in progress that have not been finished. And it's like I kind of was not having a ton of fun writing anymore. And so that kind of translated in fan fiction and also in my original stuff. But I have written two novels that I've done nothing with <laughs> and a bunch of short, sexy stories that are out there in little anthologies here and there. I also like have a background in uh, working in the film industry. And so there's um, like a couple script writing stuff I've, I've done in, in the past too. But yeah, when I'm like, when I'm not writing fan fiction, I'm not writing like anything really usually. But I'm hoping that like this pirate spark of creativity will also help with the original stuff. Oh, absolutely. I've heard so many writers say that, that a lot of times fan fiction helps them get through whatever. I don't know what the word we want to use is hump or sometimes they're like, oh, I just didn't feel like I had that spark of creativity that I was looking for. Or I felt stuck, you know, in my other projects. And I have heard that before. Other writers say that um, sometimes just digging into a fun fan fiction project for a while can help sort of unblock the energy in other areas, right? <laughs> I relate to that for sure. Absolutely. Oh, that's wonderful, though. That's so wonderful. And, and obviously, like, you know, we're all so happy to see that you're posting things recently, because that's always so fun to see. If we do get a season two, I was wondering if you have any particular hopes or predictions for what we might see on season two? I feel like I can't even just like, I'm just like, if it's if I get a season two, if I personally get a season two, Anything they do, I'll be so happy with, I think. But I want Lucius to be alive, obviously. Yes. There's no coming back <laughs> if Lucius isn't alive. And one of the biggest things I think that will be helpful for me is like, I just want to remember that it's a comedy. And I think season two will be so good because it'll be like, oh, yeah, this show's actually like really silly. And I think I forgot that during the finale because it was just like, there's, there was so much crying and it was so tragic. But like rewatching it, I'm like, ultimately, it's very kind hearted and silly and fun. And I think it'll be really nice in season two to like return to that comedy aspect of it, you know, and whatever happens with the two of them, they better freaking reunite soon <laughs> and kiss and be in love. But I think, yeah, like returning to that comedy aspect will be good for me in particular. So I'm excited to see that. Do you have any predictions or hopes? Oh, God. You know, mine are so simple and probably the same as everybody else's. I want the issue to be addressed, right? I don't want it to be swept under the table. 
So when there is that reuniting, I do want Steed to have to confront that a little bit with Ed, right? Because that was kind of a shitty thing to take off and not say anything. (laughs) You know, he had his reasons and I understand that. But I don't want to see that swept under the rug. So I do want Ed to have his moment where he's like, this gutted me. But then from that, I want some sort of really soft confession, right? Like confession of feelings. Because I feel like you get that in fan fiction. And I always love that when that happens. But I don't necessarily get that a lot in, you know, TV shows and stuff. And I feel like there's a hunger for it. We do want to see these things. That's why we keep making them happen in fan fiction, because we want them. For whatever reason, a lot of shows don't take the time to take us there, you know? Totally. So, yes, some sort of emotional confession. If they can give us that, I think I will be so happy. I wouldn't mind them, like, the not right away forgiveness. And so we get, like, them both on the same ship, but there's tension, but there's hijinks at sea. And then we get a lot of romantic mishaps between the two of them. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Like, don't make it easy, right? Yes. Make them work for it just a little bit. Just a little bit. Not too much. I can't bear it, but a little bit. Yes. Oh, and that would be so wonderful because the way that they built up to it in the first season, I can see how they would be able to masterfully like build up to it again in the second. And just, you know, you have this emotional payoff when it finally happens and that would just be so lovely. And I love your point about the comedy aspect of it too, because you are so right that the comedy aspect is such a huge part of the entire story arc. So not losing sight of that, of course, is lovely. Yeah, just so excited to see where they go with it and all of that. So... (laughs) Oh, now, before we end for today, I did want to check in with you and see if there are any other fan fiction writers that you'd like to talk about and shout out on the podcast. There's so many. I probably won't be able to do them all because I have so many. But I, I mentioned before, like, Soft October Night is fantastic. And I hope someday you will have her on because she's like the alternate universe queen. Like, almost everything she's written is in an alternate universe. And I'm so fascinated by that. Like, how do you constantly take these characters and put them somewhere else but make them recognizable but make them different based on like it's just it just blows my mind everything I read of hers and obviously like ripe teeth Snegov is like one of the best writers fan fiction or otherwise I've ever read in my life oh yes so devastatingly beautiful (laughs) blown away by every story they've ever written and just like such a phenomenal talent and I mentioned Pine Hush who I've collaborated with who's amazing and we have an Our Flag Means Death fic that we're both working on together. <laughs> so that'll be out there someday. And Racket Ghost, who wrote for Good Omens and is just, has written some of the most devastating stories ever. I, Strange Moons is like their series and it's so good. And then I love the Moon Moth, who has written for Good Omens and Game of Thrones and is, or has written some one, I think right now, Our Flag Means Death story. She, like, is somebody who I, on the internet, was, like, read all her stories and, like, printed one out to give to a friend because I was like, you have to read this writer. And then later on, we became friends. <laughs> and I don't know how it happened. It feels, like, unreal that she, like, beta read Slow Show and, like, talks to me about her life now after I was, like, just, like, a, basically a fan person over her. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, how beautiful! And now you guys are like buddies. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Oh, I love But, that. Oh, her writing is like peak romance. It's just yeah, exquisite. And Darcy Lindbergh also is writing a lot of Our Flag Means Death, and like just so gorgeous. Every time I read something of uh, hers, I'm like, well, like that's one of those those writers where you're like. Well, it's been said. It's been said in the most beautiful way it will ever be said. So I'm going to go watch TV now. Like, yeah, mic drop. Yeah, exactly, mic drop. And I mean that in the best way because I know people. No one wants to hear. Well, you made me not want to write. Like, no one wants to hear that. But it. I mean, like, yeah, it's just like perfect. It's no perfect every single time. And Fortinbras FTW is like another amazing. Our flag means death writer who's writing like crossovers between our flag means death and black sails oh lovely yes with a lot of izzy so i'm a huge fan and uh yeah hazel moats as well who writes for the terror is like probably one of like the second writer that's ever made me cry during a story only two ever got me and they're one of them <laughs> so yes i mean god there's just you could go on for hours like there's so many wonderful writers i oh weathered law is another one who's written like just the most beautiful good omens An Our Flag Means Death reincarnation story. Who's like so talented? Oh, I love those reincarnation stories. They're so beautiful. <laughs> the other two is at Nim Ravide, who has um, now she's writing Arcane, which I was into, but then pirates took over my brain, so I haven't actually finished the show. But she's also written Good Omens, and it's just like yeah, like kind of these people who really brought me into actually writing for that fandom. And then the last one, her name is Beanie Rose, and she writes for the Drag Race fandom. And I gotta say, if you want good fem slash, it's the Drag Race fandom is where you want to look. Really, I have never read anything like it. It's interesting because it was like I kind of fell into it, but it, I guess it's like I mean, lots of people write versions of these characters that are the drag queens, not the performers who play these drag queens, but. The drag queens themselves, and you know, like write them as bank robbers or time traveling spies, and it's like it's like I've never seen such like a like wide breadth of female characters falling in love. Anyway, Beanie Rose is just a remarkable writer, and I <laughs> I have a lot of fond memories of the Drag Race fandom. <laughs> oh, that's lovely, and I'm so glad that you brought that up. Because uh, Femme Slash is one of those things that we just, I haven't found a writer yet for Femme that wants to come on yet. But it's one of those things that I definitely want to cover. And I've always wondered, okay, where are all the Femme Slash stories? <laughs> you know, so I'm so glad to know that there's at least one fandom that I can just pop into and find some good stuff. Oh, that's lovely. That's so lovely. Thank you for sharing those names. We will make sure that those get up on the show notes so that everyone can check those out. Mia, thank you so much for coming on the show today. This has been lovely. Do you have any last words for us? Thank you so much for uh, for having me, and this was just a total pleasure. And yeah, I really appreciate the chance to be able to shout about pirates with someone new because <laughs> my friends are going to stop answering my calls if I keep. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, we can't hear any more about the pirates. Exactly. We're They're just like, you don't get it. You weren't there. <laughs> They're in love. Oh. Oh, and this has been so lovely for me because nobody else in my life is um, excited about the pirates. So this was my first chance to get excited with somebody else about pirates. So thank you so so much for the opportunity to uh, have a, a lovely conversation today. This has been so much fun, and thank you again for joining us today. 
Check out their stories on AO3 and give them some love. You can find the Fanfic Maverick online at fanficmaverickpodcast.com, on Tumblr at fanficmaverickpodcast, on Instagram and Twitter at fanficmaverick, and I can always be reached at fanficmaverick at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe, and I will see you next episode. In the meantime, keep on rolling. <laughs>